Let's open our Bibles, and we'll go back to the passage on discipleship, getting back to Matthew. Aren't you excited? Yes, I am. Okay, let's go. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Now, this seems like a weird passage. It sounds kind of out of context or doesn't sound like Jesus saying this. It's very hard to take, so we've got to take it in context. You've got to remember that. So we'll look at some verses prior to this, referring to it, bringing you up to date, and then we'll look at this passage. And... The passages that follow, talking about the same thing. So we'll, we'll uh, mention that in this uh, sermon. It says in Matthew chapter 8, beginning verse 18, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side. Needed a little rest, just let's go to the other side. He saw what was happening. And a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Come on, man, I'm all for it. Let's build the crowd. No, he said, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, well, well, that sounds kind of rough, so I'll, I'll be a little bit more cautious. Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, funeral, take care of it. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Hmm, wow. That is kind of rough there. And so he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And then we see about a storm, and we'll talk about this next week. But a great storm arose in the sea, so the boat was covered with the waves. But he himself was asleep. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds, and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Key word. We talked about it. I know you remember it. We're going to be emphasizing that throughout the sermon. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this day. I just pray that you'll be with us during this service, and I pray that you'll be honored and glorified that you will draw us unto yourself as you're lifted up. And I just pray that our lives will be touched in a powerful and mighty way where we, uh, we just obey you and your authority. Help us to do what you would have us to do. Help us to be what you would have us to be. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon on the Mount, we just looked at that prior to this, we've seen him heal some people, and now this passage, 
own discipleship. This is the great theme throughout this passage, and we need to understand it. And that theme is authority. One word that we don't like to hear today. I don't like authority. I can remember when the emerging churches were going around. They were wanting the pastor to sit down with them in their midst and everybody just get around and us just chat with one another and no one having the leadership role. To uh, do away with authority, so to speak. In Sunday school, same thing. We don't like that word authority. So we see in um, chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, the result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having what? Authority. And not as the scribes. Now the scribes had a form of authority that was uh, given to them because of their position. But this one, this authority was different. He was speaking as though they wanted to hear what he was saying. He had something unique to say, important to say. So in this chapter, we see that he has moved from the teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the authority that was with that, then the miracles that happened, the healing of the leopard, the uh, centurion and his servant. The centurion recognized this authority. He said, what? He said, hey, you just speak. I don't deserve you coming to my house. You know, you speak the word and my servant will be healed. I'm, you know, I have authority also. Not like you, but I have authority you know, I can tell the servants to go, and they'll go. Do this, and they'll do that. And Jesus said, you know, I've not seen uh, anyone with this kind of faith before. And the centurion understood this. And he understood the concept, the pattern of authority. Because he was a man of authority. So the issue here is authority. The first thing that we looked at the other week or a few weeks back, discipleship calls for God to be unconditionally first in our lives. Unconditionally. Without conditions. That's very important. We want to put conditions on. But for that to happen, you've got to understand authority. Especially His authority. And I don't think... A lot of us in our society today understand that. We don't want that. The healing was important, but the bigger issue here is not the healing, the physical healing. The bigger issue is authority. Jesus speaks the word, and what happens? Miracles happen. The teaching is recognized as unique and special. Authority, in other words, first begins with the person of Christ. Who Jesus is. He spoke as no other scribe, no other person that they had heard. Secondly, in thought, authority is seen not only 
through the miracles, but in his teaching. It's heard in his teaching. As he says, we, you know, he taught as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. And then third, it is demonstrated through his deeds, the miracles. The centurion said, hey, you know, you just say, speak the word and my servant will be healed. Authority is not in the office as some authority is. We have different kinds of authority. The president has authority. As long as he's in that office, once he steps out, he doesn't have that authority anymore. He's recognized in a special way, but he doesn't have the authority of the office. Second, there's authority that comes with the person. It happens usually uh, when some, someone says something or or it carries certain weight what they say. And, and usually this is the authority of an expertise. Like a doctor or E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens, you know. Investments. And then there are people that can have authority just with the tone of their voice. Or the attire or uh, the, the way that they come into a room. I mean, you know, everybody just, wow. They see this. But when you think about God, when you think about Christ, what is the ultimate issue concerning authority? The ultimate issue has to do with the fact that the one and living true God, the creator of all the universe, the redeemer, is the ultimate and only authority. And we must recognize that if we're going to be a disciple. The self-existent, self-revealing God is the only authority that we're to listen to as far as discipleship and growing. When it comes to authority, it is God who is the indispensable one. He is the one who we must obey. We need to understand how we are to obey and acknowledge him. And that comes through the reading and studying and walking with the Lord of God. He speaks as one who has authority and not as one of the, as a scribe. The authority of who he is, the authority of God. Jesus is here speaking and acting with God's authority alone. So if we're going to be a disciple, we better take it seriously. This is God. It's not... Okay, you come and join me, God, and you listen to me, and I'll let you in on my plans, which so many of us do at times, don't we? We have our own plans planned out. We have our own schedule. We have our own activities. We have everything. And then we say, God, you can, you can be included here. I'll, I'll give you this amount of time, or I'll give you that amount of time, or, or you know, if I get in trouble, then I'll really listen to what you say. So what we have in uh, what follows these verses, uh, verses 14 through 17, is a passage that's often taken out of context because it's and misunderstood. And the reason that it's misunderstood is because it's taken out of context. You've got to take him teaching, him being of that authority, him performing miracles, him, him being having that authority, and now... Him telling his disciples, okay, if you follow me, 
then you've got to recognize this authority. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to obey it. So verses 18 following, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side, and a certain scribe came and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have, uh, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. For God to be unconditionally first, you've got to understand also the cost of discipleship. Not only authority, but with that authority comes the cost, understanding the cost of discipleship. Remember that Jesus here is seeking to avoid misunderstanding. This happened earlier when he told the leper to, uh, to go to the priest for cleansing and to tell no one. And this was to keep people from coming to him just for healing as some medicine man, drawing a crowd. He didn't want that. He wanted them to understand his purpose here. He wanted them to understand who he was. This is why Jesus has given orders to his disciples to depart from the crowd to the other side. When he gave these orders, a scribe who was one who had the responsibility of making sure the uh, scriptures were applied correctly, he came to him and he says, boy, I've heard you teach. I've seen you perform miracles, basically is what he's saying. He says, teacher, man, I'm excited. No other Pharisee, no other teacher has ever shown that to me. I am ready to follow you. And Jesus' response to him might sound a little strange to us because we as preachers, when we hear this, okay, we'll follow, we'll get involved, we'll do this, we'll do that. What do we do? We stick them in there immediately, man. We're happy for it. And Rightly so sometimes. But here Jesus replies. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no one, nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knows our hearts. Which means that we, when we may sound good on the outside, man, I'll do this, I'll get involved here, I'll do that, you know, and we get all excited in our walk with the Lord, it sounds like, then he knows whether we're going to follow through with, our, with his commands or not. Here was a scribe, a man of the word, listening to Jesus teach, perform these miracles. He was excited. He had not seen this before or heard this before. And just like you and I, we get caught up in the celebration of worship or ministry or whatever it might be sometimes and we'll say man I'm ready to go I'm ready to go anywhere how many of us have done that in this service what does Jesus say does he get all excited about it and does he uh, say okay let's go does it inflate his ego no Jesus says nothing's wrong he's basically saying nothing's he's not condemning his confession he's just telling him I want you first to count the cost he says don't let it just be an impulsive decision 
How often do we do that? We have that impulsive decision. We go by the five senses. What is Jesus telling the scribes? He's telling them, I want you to follow me, and when I make no promises at all, that's when I want you to make sure that you're going to follow me. What about that job over there I want? Boom, it doesn't come through. I prayed about it. God, why didn't you give me that job? Man, God's not real. God's not good. I'm just going to give up. What about, you know, my relationship here? Oh, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Boom, it doesn't happen. God, man, I'm disappointed in you. I'm just going to give up. What about church? Oh, I, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. The choir's doing this. Oh, they're not doing it just like I want them to do it anymore. They're not doing church like I want them to do it anymore. I'm just going to give up. I want that car out there. I want that better home. I want this and I want that. And then we don't get it. He says, I want you to follow me when I make no promises to you at all no promises the lord wants an unconditional commitment which means that you will become uncomfortable at times i will become uncomfortable at times the christian life is not adding jesus to one's way of life but renouncing that personal way of life for his and being willing to pay whatever the cost is that is required. What is Christianity costing you today? Is it costing you anything? Has it ever cost you anything? And then third, for God to be unconditionally first in our lives, he needs to take or he must take priority over our most important claims now this one really is tough he says another disciple said to him lord permit me first to go and bury my father and jesus says follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead now that sounds a little cold doesn't it sounds a little callous but I'm sure that he was probably listening to the first one and the conversation maybe that was going on there. And he may be a little cautious here. And so Jesus tells him, if you really want to follow me, let the dead bury the dead. This man may have overheard that conversation with the first and he said, boy, that was pretty strong. So I'm going to take steps of caution. Well, let's just illustrate the scene a little bit let's just su suppose ourselves in battle in war and here comes this guy you know just walking into the bunker where the top one in charge is and he's and he's giving out the orders you know and he's laying out the plan and he looks at this private coming in, and he's a little frustrated because war, I mean, there's battle, there's bombs going on off, all around. And the private says, uh, can I ask you a question? 
He says, what do you want? He says, well, my father died, and I need a pass to go home and bury him. You think you could allow me to do that? You think he was, I'm sure he'd tell him. Yeah, tell all the soldiers uh, that if anyone has a family member who's sick or who's uh, out of sorts or who's dead, uh, just tell them to pack up their bags and go home. And, you know, get some R&R &R and come back and, and, you know, when things get better. <laughs> I don't think so. Do you? Why? Because there's an urgent battle, an urgent situation. And that kind of reasoning would be unthinkable. So we need to remember that Jesus tells us that not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says some will come and say, well, didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I perform miracles in your name? And he tells them that in the day of judgment, you're proven not to be one of my disciples. You see, some people come for different reasons and they never count the cost and they never become a child of God. Now I'm not saying that we don't waver at times. I'm not saying that we don't move away from God at times. I don't, I'm not saying that as Baptists use a, a backslidden word, uh, you know, we may backslide at times. We do. But also, at the same th time, I want us to count the cost. I want us to look at our lives. I want us to see if really what we made in our decision was just an emotional decision or was it a true decision. We need to look at that. And then... If it's a true decision, I want you to look at your life and say, have I really counted the cost? The cost that in, is involved. He told the first one, foxes uh, have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have, has nowhere to let, lay his head. He's let him know that, you know, hey, my kingdom, my kingdom work is on the go. I have no castle to go back to. I can't guarantee you that. It's not a visible earthly kingdom that you're going to be looking at and, and experiencing during this day and time. To follow Jesus means to follow him in obedience wherever he may lead. It meant following him and his authority, obeying him, knowing that he is Lord and that his kingdom is the kingdom that is not specifically geographic, but is spiritual. It is not right now on this earth set up, but one day will be. So count the cost if you're going to follow Jesus. It's high. And that's why with the second man, he says, uh, that wanted to follow Jesus, he, he was a little cautious here, and he, he says, well, let me go and bury my uh, father. And What's interesting about this man and his request is the burial practice of that day. And so he was basically, we won't go into the practice, but he was basically saying, let me stay at home, take care of things, and once my father dies, I will inherit enough money to be self-supportive. 
and probably even help your mission cause. When you don't have a place to sleep, like you said, I will have enough money for us to go and book a couple rooms in the Best Western. We'll have a place to stay. In other words, something else has prior claim on my life. So Jesus, your claim is not priority. Wow. Let the dead bury the dead. If you follow me, don't think that you can do it on your own terms. But I want to ask you, how many of us are following Jesus? Maybe we're believers in Jesus Christ, but basically that's what we're doing. We're telling God when we're going to be active and when we're not. When we're going to be involved and when we're not. When we're going to do this and when we're not. The question is, what are we waiting for before we see the importance of Christ's authority in our lives? Who but God could make such demands on our lives and be just? If He is God, we owe Him total obedience and total self-surrender. None of What you hear a lot of times, well, God, wait until I get out of school or wait until my family has grown or wait until I retire from work or wait until I sell my place or then I'll come and be a disciple or wait until all my dreams are fulfilled or my pleasures are met. The things that I love to do are taken care of and then when I'm old and I don't have anything else to do and I don't have any strength to to do anything with. Then I'll follow you, Lord. Somebody can push me around in a wheelchair and I'll follow you then. During the Depression, there was a cute story told that depicts discipleship. A hen and a pig were strolling by the church, and on the sign out front was a saying, These are hard times. Remember to feed the hungry. The hen turned to the pig and said, That sounds good. I've got a good idea. Why don't we get involved by sponsoring a ham and egg breakfast? The pig looked at the hen and said, Friend, for you... That is a contribution. But for me, that's a sacrifice. A total commitment. What is discipleship to you? What is discipleship to you? Do you understand Christ's authority? We playing games with him. Have we done that? Are we waiting till we get really too old to do anything? And then say, I'm ready to commit, Lord. I've gotten all the other out of the way. I've gotten all my fun and games out of the way. And now I'm ready. 
Are you ready to commit to him now? Maybe many of you are, and I know many of you are committed to the Lord. But even with commitment, let's be honest with ourselves. Do we play that game? And maybe a little too often. Well, God, let me finish this first. Let me do this first. This person, these people come first. This job comes first. What is it for us? Jesus first. It's easy to sing that, isn't it? But to live it is different. Let's bow our heads in prayer.